Mana 3 Media. Branches is not only a place to go to find help for mental, emotional, and behavioral issues. Branches is just as interested in the physical well-being of the people that we care for. That is why Branches Wellness is here to provide help in losing weight, in just overall health management, and in medication management. Body, soul, and spirit. Care for the whole individual. So Branches is a place to turn to find hope and healing in the midst of a hurting and sometimes difficult world. Let's face it, the world is just a messy place. There's probably not one of us that hasn't heard a lesson or some information at some point and said, hey, with all that's going on around me, what difference does that make? I'm Dr. Mike Courtney. I'm a counselor, a lifelong recoverer, a husband, a father, a business owner, a grandfather. And I love to ask this question, what difference does that make? Welcome to What Difference Does That Make, a podcast that's dedicated to helping people live healthier, happier, and sometimes holier lives in what can be a really messed up world. I'm Mike Courtney, and it's always a privilege to share with you some thoughts and ideas that I think uh, prompt this question, what difference does that make? So this is going to be a fun, fun conversation that I think you'll be interested in. But speaking of being interested, uh, I have a really interested person in this room right now. You notice I said interested and not interesting. I noticed. (laughs) I noticed right away. David Wilkinson, my great friend and producer. David, it's good to see you. My interest is getting less and less by the second (laughs) since you put me in that. You are very interesting, (laughs) but in this case, because you're hanging on every word that I said, you're interested. I I am interested and I try to be interesting, but mostly I'm just, I'm glad to be here. And I'm doing good, man. Thank you for asking. And uh, it's it's a pretty rainy day today, but yeah, uh, it's it's good. It was worth driving in the rain to come see you. Well, I'm glad you. It's better than dancing in the rain, I guess. I guess so I'm glad that you yeah. did that. That's good. Uh, we are uh, in the mid to late spring of the year here in Middle Tennessee. Mm-hmm. This podcast will air probably a month or two after this, but uh, it's been a for the most part, it's been a beautiful spring. We don't always have beautiful springs, but it's been a beautiful spring in Tennessee. Yes. But let me ask you this. Do you ever on this podcast address people who think differently than people your age or my age? (laughs) No. This podcast is for people who think just like me. (laughs) And and if you don't like it, then you just go to another. I'm pitching you a softball here. That is one of the great challenges. Um, let me tell you a story yeah, about okay. that. Sure. Uh, I I was in the uh, fifth grade when I started wearing glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those listeners who have never met me, I wear glasses. Mm-hmm. I was in the fifth grade when I started wearing them. Before that, I sat on the front row of the classroom and I would pull my eye to kind of distort it so I could read the board. And then I went to the optometrist, got glasses, came walking out and was absolutely shocked that you could see that way. I thought everybody sat on the front row and pulled their eye (laughs) in order to see the board. One of the things that's really interesting, David, is to realize that not everybody sees the same way that I see Mm -hmm. and not everybody thinks the same way that I think. Mm -hmm. And that is very uh, true, especially in different 
age groups. Mm. So today we're going to talk to a millennial and the title of the episode is Thinking Like a Millennial. And just ask, what do you think? What do you think I think? Uh, what do you think when I tell you what I think you think? Yeah. It's a fun conversation. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, mm -hmm. this is a millennial that I happen to be very, very close to. Uh, this is my youngest son, Jacob Courtney. I have my own Jacob who is a millennial. Yeah. And I think it's important to have an episode dedicated to this simply for the fact that I even had to look at how to spell the word millennial. <laughs> I was like, is there two L's? Is it two N's? Yeah. It gets a little tricky. But what's more important is that we're actually talking to someone yeah. who is a millennial. That and thinks see, like I a think a true millennial would say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Spell <laughs> it however you want to spell it. it really what a matter. great point. That is such a true point. That's so true. Yeah. So what well, did you all talk about? Jacob is bright. He really is bright. I, I know I'm a little prejudiced. I admit that. And I say this, I've said this several times. When you have your, your podcast, you can put your kids on it if uh -huh. you want to. But uh, Jacob is very bright. He's a great thinker. He is a commercial pilot, an airline pilot. And so a lot of times at four o'clock in the morning when he's driving to the airport, he calls me and starts some deep theological conversation. He's been reading N.T. Wright or Richard Rohr or somebody like that. And uh, uh, he he's just a good thinker, but he thinks differently from, than the way I think. So I asked him if he would sit down with me and let's just uh, let's just talk about about how, not even so much what we think as how we think, how we come to the conclusions oh, that we come good. to. And it was a fun, fun conversation. I think, I think there'll be more of those because it was just, it was, it was enlightening for me to hear some things and say, yeah, you know what? That's, I don't see things that way. That's interesting to hear that. That's really great. And man, that's important too. Well, uh, before we get to that, I wanted to come back to something we started with the last episode, which uh -huh. is that new segment that's sweeping the nation, Mike. <laughs> it is. It's called Ask Mike. <laughs> oh, it's it is it's in all the papers. It's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. Everyone wants to ask you a question. Uh so for now we've limited it to, <laughs> to just, just a few. <laughs> we really only had time to hit a few. So I'm gonna reach in here. I'm gonna pick out my number. Uh -huh. And just to remind our audience, Mike literally has no idea what this question is. Yeah, and I do want to say that that so to set this up, for, you and I are sitting here yep. 10 feet apart. Mm -hmm. You have these questions on your phone, right? but you insisted on writing them on pieces of paper and putting them in the hat so you could draw them out. That's just true. Just for the sound of it. I, I, I went for the laugh. <laughs> uh, all right. The question is, how do you define personally? How do you define mental health success? Wow. That is a great question. I have an answer for that, by the way. Great. That's something that I have worked on a lot and thought about a lot when I'm I'm seeing clients and what, what am I trying to find to say, I think this person is in a good place emotionally, their mental health is good, their behaviors are, are appropriate. I have four. Uh, okay, good. One of them is that they make space in their life for pain. Okay. That they allow... Uh, allow for difficult times, that things don't always have to go according to plan. They don't always have to be perfect. So they make space in their life for pain. 
Uh, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Uh, and just acknowledging that and, and being willing to live with that. The second thing is that they take personal responsibility. Okay. That that they are able to say, you know what? doesn't make me a bad person. doesn't make me a failure for the rest of my life. But yeah, I messed up in this. Now, maybe my wife contributed this. My kids didn't do this. But I'm the one that's responsible for, for, for me. Mm-hmm. My friend Jonas Byler says, my response is my responsibility. Mm-hmm. So they take personal responsibility. Third thing is, hopefully people understand that we I operate from a faith perspective and and so there has to be a connection to God in all of this they have a concept of a good God okay uh, there sometimes that's hard to do sometimes there are things that have happened and I'm and I'm wondering you know where is God when it hurts and so I kind of go back to making space in my life for pain uh, I, I don't know. I don't know, but I know that God is good, mm-hmm. even when it feels like He's not. Even, and I and so I have I have a concept of a good God, mm-hmm. and I'm able to hold on to that. And then here's the last thing that I look for: Are they able to live a lifestyle of forgiveness? Mm. To stay in a constant state of forgiveness. Somebody's going to hurt us. Somebody, and and rather than to constantly. Uh, ruminate on that to constantly live with that to be able to forgive those people that have wounded me sometimes to be able to forgive myself when i see those four things in people that i say yeah i think they're healthy uh, mentally emotionally i think they're in, in a good place that was gold i'm so glad i asked that i'm going to recap that for audience here's a okay. quick flyby number one uh you tell me if i get this right okay making space in your life for pain right uh secondly a personal sense of responsibility. Third one is to have a concept of a good God. Yeah. And fourth is to be able to live in a state of forgiveness. Yeah. Did I get, how did I do? You did great. Four out of four. Yeah. I'd say you are mentally healthy. That's mental health success. Folks, (laughs) you heard it here. That's really great, Mike. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's going to be really beneficial to our audience. Thank you, David. So how about, uh, let's, let's send them someplace. Tell them where they can go to learn more about branches, about you and your work. And yeah, you know, we didn't, we didn't plan this, but I probably, I'm pretty sure I probably have written a blog about those four things somewhere mm-hmm. along the way. Mm-hmm. So we have a website called, uh, interestingly enough, branchesblog.com, branchesblog.com, all one word. And that's kind of a landing space for all of this, for blogs that I write, for interviews I've done, for for the podcast, uh, for some videos. I mean, I, pretty much everything that we do you can locate it somewhere on that branchesblog.com. So what I would ask our listeners to do is to go to that, first of all, kind of peruse through that. But secondly, uh, to sign up, if you would. It's very helpful Mm -hmm. for us for a lot of reasons. If you would sign up uh, for that and we could uh, just kind of develop a listening base so we know kind of how to target people, where to to send people and that kind of thing. So branchesblog.com. Well, it's a great conversation with Jacob Courtney. Um, Jacob is 35. He's kind of on the top edge of the millennials, but uh, very much in that worldview, that paradigm. And he's a good guy, young father. That has certainly changed the way he's thinking. So I think our listeners are going to enjoy this. So uh, listen to Jacob Courtney and I sitting down having a conversation about how to think like a millennial. Let's get started. 
I am here with one of my two favorite men in the whole world, uh, Jacob Courtney. Jacob is my youngest son. One of the most interesting backgrounds of anybody I know. He's just been all over the place. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But uh, one of the things I enjoy about Jacob is is you are a good thinker. Uh, we have a lot of interesting phone conversations, most of them about 4 o'clock in the morning while you're driving to the airport or something like that. But Jacob, thanks for doing this with me. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> you interviewed uh, Josh. Uh, few weeks ago who's mm-hmm. the resident health expert i guess i'm just the resident opinion expert so <laughs> that's, just... right. that's right if we want to talk about facts we're going to have josh on if we want to talk about what we think we're going to have jacob on because so, <laughs> because neither one of you are at a shortage for those two things yep. <laughs> actually that is what i wanted to talk about uh let me let me kind of set the background a little bit jacob you are 35 just turned 35 uh, if the Bible is true that you're, we're all given 70 years, you're halfway there. Halfway you're, there. What's that mean for you? <laughs> yeah, that means I'm about... You're I, there. <laughs> that means I hope we can finish this podcast. <laughs> I hope we're around long enough to do that. And you happen to be a millennial. Uh, we're going to talk about that, what that means, and if you think you are and all that. But So I just wanted to talk about not about you, but about millennials. What what millennials think? How how what we as a different generation, if what we think about millennials is true, all of that stuff. So uh, so so let's jump into it that way. Uh, let me begin by uh, asking you first of all, are you a millennial? You're 35 years old. Are you a millennial? Yes, that goes back to, does anybody really know what a millennial is? Uh, on on paper, I am by birth date. I thought that I was whatever came right before millennial, which I don't even know what that is. But mm-hmm. yes, I, I think that I am a, officially a millennial. Yeah, yeah. There is a micro generation that of those people born, the, the, the baby boobers, baby busters, and then there's the the Jones generation, the keeping up with the Joneses, the people that came after the baby busters. But about 1979 to 1982, that tiny little micro generation uh, has has a name, which right now escapes me. I don't know what it is. But then they actually back back up and say 1981 to later is is millennial. So. Um, do you identify with that? I mean, the thing, the characteristics, you know, millennials, what do you think? I think the more that I understand it, like most things in life, I push back against anything, a label put mm. on me, which I think is a sign that which I'm probably is, a millennial. Which is what millennials so right. I push back against it. And then the more that I read about it and understand it, realize I, I think that I do at least in part have this, this mindset. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, probably when we look at any kind of label, we pick out the positive characteristics and say, okay, I'm that. And we pick out the negatives and say, I'm not that. But what I do see about you that seems very millennialish to me is millennials are, are pretty self-confident. They're, they're very, uh, achievement oriented. They set goals. They head for those goals. Uh, they are very social conscious that they're, they, they want the world to be a better place and expect us all to kind of help make it that way. 
And then, and then one of the things that I think is true about you that we laugh about a lot, but they challenge authority. They, they question authority. I feel like you can speak on that better than <laughs> I, I can. Say, I, is yeah. that true? You yeah, were a millennial. You. When you were three years old, you were a millennial. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I say often, and you know, you've heard this story. I would, say, I, I would say to Josh, Josh, go in and clean your room right now. And, and he's gone. He goes to do that. You know, he's going to do that. If I said that to you, there is no way in the world that room would ever be cleaned. So we learned very early we had to have this discussion. Now, you know, do you want to go out and play? Well, you have to clean your room first. So would it be better to go clean your had you had to be yes. you had to understand the value of anything. I've talked to Alice and my wife about that a lot, and I'm learning in marriage and now through being a young father, things have to make sense to me to agree with them. Yes. So if you know, Caleb, my 18-month-old, is feeling a certain way. If I don't understand why he's feeling that way, I get frustrated. Yeah. And I'm having to learn he's he's just a baby, <laughs> and that's just how he feels. He's yeah. just in that mood, and that's yeah. there's not really an explanation to it. And I think there'll be a lot of apologies that you make to me down through the years. <laughs> possibly, possibly. <laughs> Let me ask you this. I just, this was a it was an interesting question to me. How do you how if some of those characteristics are true, how has that informed kind of your story? Um, you, you have a, uh, again, I know I sound prejudiced, but you have a really interesting background. You're a professional musician for, for a long time. You are a professional pilot now, commercial pilot. Uh, either one of those would be, we could, have, we could do a podcast about either one of those. Those are both very interesting. How has being a millennial informed that, you think? Has it kind of challenged you to... One thing you have not done is work in a factory, eight to five, punching a clock, you know, I... Yeah, I think... I, honestly, I haven't really sat down to find right. my motive. In each, my motive in each is, hey, those look fun, I'm going to do it. I think that's part of being a millennial, yeah. of this looks... Uh, fulfilling to me this looks enjoyable this looks like it will build up my my life something that i just enjoy doing or yeah. i have a passion of doing um i i feel very presumptuous speaking on behalf of an entire generation <laughs> so right. I'm, I'm trying to be careful but i do think well that the good thing is millennials they won't agree with you anyway that is true <laughs> that is true uh i do think that there's an aspect of a rejection of you just need to do this because you need to, you know, yeah. you got to go provide for your family and go, you know, work a, a job that you don't enjoy. But that's, there's a different purpose other than that. I think we kind of search for purpose in all that we do and good or bad or indifferent. I think that's just where it, where it lands. Yeah. I do also feel like for most millennials, again, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but the, no offense to your generation, but that we were kind of sold a, a, a bill of goods of, hey, if you if you do this, if you go to college, if you get whatever degree, if and go through this, you'll you'll at least be middle class. And I think, and I feel like I've read this, and then talking to friends, kind of hear this story more and more often, that we're one of the first generations that. It, if the American dream is that you're going to live in a house bigger than your parents, you're going to drive a nicer car than your parents, you're, you're 
every generation is going one step further. Which you do, by the way. <laughs> well, that that was, I think, I feel a lot of luck in there. But I think we're the first generation that overall not everybody can say that. Of, yeah. Of, hey, we felt like we worked hard. We felt like we did this. And then, you know, 2008 yeah. happened. You know, a right. lot of us graduated college. Not Not me at the time, but a lot of us graduated college and didn't have those jobs. And... Um, so because of that, we just feel like there's not a straight path where yeah. we were taught a straight path. You follow this path and this is where it'll get That's you. Good. I don't think we agree with that. Yeah. And again, may, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true. But either way, I feel like I'm in a generation that doesn't agree with that. So on the, on the one side, I feel like we're not going to end up where we want to be because uh, of taking a narrow path. And on the other side, we we want to enjoy the journey. Yeah. Not just yeah. if you're not going to end up in that in that preset goal, then do what you're passionate about. Do what do what is fulfilling. Exactly. What you're, yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I think it probably and and legitimately so probably created a little bit of general mistrust. Then, if you can't believe your parents, you know, that said go to college and everything will work out great, then there's just kind of a general uh, uh, skepticism about about life in general. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, you you use the word passion, and and so again, and I and I don't want to be presumptuous and judge a whole generation by you, but I I have seen this in your brother, who is who's on the bottom edge of, of being a millennial. I, I would say Josh acted a little bit less like a millennial than you and 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 still today does but but certainly is still in that as you say calendar wise is still in that uh, for both of you though the, the passion was the key word that you and, and, I, and I I say this jokingly I don't mean this in a derogatory way about anybody that does work in a factory but I but you guys wouldn't have lasted two weeks in the on the assembly line punching the clock, you had to do things that you were passionate about, that you were excited about. And again, for you playing music for 10 years and, and, and excelling at that, and then turning to become an airline pilot and, and excelling at that. I, I see both of that, those things in your, in your life. Yeah. And I, I think that's very true. And I think that for both Josh and I, we have been blessed, um, to end up in these places and careers that we enjoy and are able to support our families out of out of these careers. But again, I look around at, at peers in, in my generation that have had passions that just did not lead to those careers, yeah. which I think probably ties into a higher rate of depression in, in millennials yeah. and... Um, uh, just a general anxiety and, hey, what if I enjoy, I, I can't do that, and uh, just kind of feeling trapped. So, again, yeah. I, I think that we've been very blessed in that, but recognizing there's a lot of people that haven't had that opportunity. Sometimes I say in counseling, that's enough about you, let's talk about me. Uh, so let's talk about me a little bit. What do you, and, and now I'm asking you to speak for two generations, but what do you think, uh, Joyce Meyer said, you need to think about what you think about. Uh, so, so what do you think is different about the way you think as opposed 
to the way my generation thinks or or other generations, the generations before you anyway. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, I mean, do you see a different way, a kind of worldview, a different way of approaching things? Yeah, again, feel free to disagree with me, but I, <laughs> I feel like you are more black and white in your thinking. Mm-hmm. And but this is true, this is not true, you know, one plus one equals two. This is the the path. This is how you do things, um, as opposed to millennial generation saying, "Hey, that, I, I don't think that that is true. I don't think it always works out that way." Um, if I had to, this is partly because I just did a study on the wisdom books in the Bible. But if you had to put a book of the Bible to your generation versus millennials, you would be Proverbs, and right. we would be, be Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Proverbs says, if you act this way, it's going to turn out this way. Ecclesiastes says, ah, it really doesn't matter. Meaningless, eat, meaningless. Drink, eat, it's drink, and be merry. All meaningless. <laughs> you know, I, I've seen people live wise and die young. I've seen people be foolish and live to be old and rich. So it, <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> that's good. Isn't it good that God put both of those books in the Bible? Then? Exactly. <laughs> And does it mean anything that Proverbs comes before Ecclesiastes in the Bible? <laughs> I think just the way that your generation did it, say, hey, this is how you live. And then we looked and said, we'll keep think, trying. how's that working for you? <laughs> yeah, poor, poor uh, Caleb, when he gets to be this age, he'll be... He'll, he'll be, be Job. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's all, it's all awful. It's just so awful. <laughs> that's funny. Well, let's talk about that then. And that's really kind of where I wanted to go with all of this, because you and I have had wonderful conversations about uh, about church and about our spiritual life. And I'm and I'm extremely proud of you. And again, both of you and Josh of the way you lead your families. Um, And I do need to I do need to say in advance that you don't know what I think. I know you think I think this about you, but I don't know what I think. Um, but what does it, how does that inform what you think about the church? Uh, and, and maybe we can lump the two of these, the church, theology, uh, our God talk. How does the, how does, uh, how do you as a millennial view those things? And maybe again, as opposed to how you think that baby boomers or or baby busters view view that? This is incredibly awkward because you're not only my dad not only a baby boomer you're my pastor growing up so this is <laughs> this is your saying, this your is how, this is how you screwed right me <laughs> up this is how uh, okay. this is your all my <laughs> crazy thinking's a result of all this stuff i the more that i think about it and the more that i watch sermons and listen to podcasts and see things it feels like the church has been doubling down on a more modern or or baby boomer message of you need to be anchored to truth. This is true. This is true. This is true. Here are the rules. This is what scripture says. This is it. And as seeing a generation that is more and more thinks that truth is fluid, uh, I think the church seems to be doubling down on that. It's the message that I feel like millennials receive mm-hmm. um whether that's what's actually being said or not I, I don't know but that's i feel like what we hear and this is maybe not exactly the question that you asked but the i feel like the what we need to hear is 
a relationship with Jesus. Like it, mm. it's we're getting it's the yeah. more of the the rules and the attempt to find something to anchor on to, but we need a relationship to anchor on to, not um, yeah, not not the rules or something. I, I yeah. think would be more appealing to a millennial yeah, generation. That's good. Be more yeah. compelling. And I think I think any no, I, I don't know about any, but most again, you know, pre-millennial uh, generations that you talk to would say, well, no, I mean, the relationship with Jesus is absolutely most important. Abs- that's that's by far most important. But you know you're in a relationship with Jesus if you live this way. And so we, we, we want to drag our black and white, and I think you're right about that, Ten Commandments into that and say, yeah, the relationship with Jesus but you have to do this in order to be in a relationship with Jesus. And these conversations, I think, are also tough because, again, as being a young dad, um, I'm learning with, with Caleb of, you know, I'll just tell him no or, or give him an instruction. And there is still a lack of understanding there on his part. I know where my heart is. I also know that what I'm saying, I'm saying very clear, but he's, he's not understanding it yet because yeah. he's 16 months old. So, is it on me to change the message so that yeah, he can understand good. it, or do I need to just double down and say, "Hey, you, you need to understand this. You're not, you know, is it is the responsibility on on him?" And I feel like it's similar in these conversations. Of I don't think that my generation has really heard exactly what you know the truth that you're given, and yeah. and maybe your generation needs to. Yeah. Change change how you address it a little bit. You know, I don't I don't know if this is true, but it as even as I ask you that question about the church and about what you're hearing and that kind of thing, it seems to me that even young ministers today are still uh they still have a baby boomer mentality. You know, there's not there are not many. I know you like Tim Mackey and uh, there's some guys like that, but they're not, even the young guys are very much more. You no, know, this is the way it is. You you got to be connected to a church, you know that that kind of thing. So, uh, which probably explains part of why the millennials are uh, are not uh, being attracted to the church like other generations were. So yeah, maybe we do need to change the way we're presenting the message. Yeah, I'd very much agree with that of, you know, my friends that are in the church think very much more like the generation before them yeah. rather, rather than their secular peers. Yeah. Um, yeah, the church just kind of raises that up, says this is how you think, and and it's continued on, and it has served the church well, and then you kind of hit a cultural shift where the the thinking shifts, and then it's, yeah. I think it's the challenge of the church to figure out how to address that. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I sound like I sound like a millennial now, and sound like I'm being critical of, of the church. But I think what we did in order to change the message, we we didn't change the message. We changed the way we presented the message. We brought in smoke machines and kick and praise bands, and our pastors started wearing jeans with holes in them. You know. And, and we tried to package for the millennial 
but but the message was the same. And so for a little while, that attractive, you know, glamour and glitz kind of helped. But I, yeah, with with you know the last five or six years, kind of the way the world, I think that wasn't enough, and and we're seeing this great falling away. So yeah, I agree, and I, and I think millennials for as flaky as you think that most of us can be <laughs> are pretty in, in tune and I think can sense that of like this yeah. is this is packaged differently but I can see you know what what this is again right wrong or indifferent on the message see that the it's the the same thing as generations before just in yeah. a different cover on it well so let me ask you that's good Jacob let me ask you so I mean, where I want, where I want to get is to put you on the spot and and force you to answer this. So what do we do? I mean, you you talked a lot about Caleb, who's 16 months old now. What do you what do you do to to preserve the church? And I don't even know if that's the right word, but somebody of body of belief that is going to stand him in good stead. How do what do we do different? What would you like to see us do different? I think that it takes a lot of humility on both sides. I think that the millennial movement and I'm I'm not a philosopher or a historian, but I'm, my guess is that all movements are this way. It's not a new idea that sprung up. It's really a criticism of what has come before us of hey these are changes that we mm. want to see yeah so for the good. generation before to humble themselves and and listen say wait what that idea sounds so crazy to me and so far off but rather than reject it where's that coming from why, are you why, why do you think that yeah. way and i think millennials need to recognize that we don't have as much life experience and there's by rejecting, you know, a frame of thought from the generation before us, we're rejecting a lot of wisdom and a lot of great That's things. Good. So yeah. it, I think it takes humility on both sides to be able to sit and listen to to each other and be the first to listen, not the first to talk, whichever side you land right. on, if you're a millennial or a baby boomer or whatever, and talking to the other generation, be the first to listen. Um, this might just come from that's kind of currently things that I'm um, reading, so what's most fresh on my mind. But right now reading a really compelling book on the crucifixion and realizing that I think at the cross is the point where you can get the absolute relationship and love that a millennial generation is dying for and craving, a true love and and just relationship and to be overwhelmed by that and that generation needs that and it's the paradox of the cross is the same spot where it is supreme truth and and the good condemnation of of, man if i stand before this such a great love that is true that is something that i can anchor on to that is truth that i can anchor into and and feel compelled to change i feel compelled to now follow these rules, these truths, these, you know, whatever you want to call it because of, of that. So having conversations that, that center around the cross and around Jesus and humbling yourself to listen to the other perspective of that. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I was thinking when you said that, that, you know, that, and the thing that the cross does, you know, what Paul calls the, the foolishness of the, of the cross, it 
it makes no sense. So it completely rejects the old, the old way of doing it, follow the laws, follow the rules, and that's the way you get into heaven. So it, it yeah, it kind of, it should be the symbol for all, Christians or not, it should be the symbol for all millennials because it just makes no sense. It rejects that, but it points to a different way. So, And it's about passion. It's certainly about passion. Absolutely. So, and yeah. it's a great equalizer. It's, you know, it just brings everybody to an equal footing of, However you think, whatever generation you are, whatever, anything. It's a great yeah. equalizer and just brings us all to the same spot to have a conversation that needs to be had. That's good. Um, let me ask you one more question. Uh, it's really, really been good. This is a two-part question. Uh, and it's, I know it's very broad and general, but what do you, in light of this conversation, in light of our talking right now and thinking about these kinds of things, how you think, and again, I'm thinking about my grandson, your son, Caleb. What are you afraid of, and what do you hope for? You know, as you see us, one thing we know for sure: something's going to change. It's going to be different. As you see us moving towards change, what what are you afraid of? As the millennials begin to age and and have more power, more control, uh, what are you afraid of? And what do you hope for? I'd say I'm afraid of. It seems to be kind of two sides fighting, and the harder that people fight, the more people dig their heels in, the more mm. polarizing um, yeah. ideas get, and the, and the harder it is to have conversations. So I'm yeah, just afraid for a divisive world where it's so divided that you can't. There's zero common ground yeah. and, and no chance to even have a talk yeah. or reconciliation. Um, and I hope that uh, people do start talking and, and really humble themselves and listen to have conversations with other people that think differently. And through that, um, almost become a symbolic, almost a, a sacrament of like, wow, this is, as other people look on, this is a place to live in, in community and in great communion wow. and people that disagree or don't necessarily see eye to eye, but still have great love and admiration and, and respect for one another. I love you, Jacob. I love you too. Thanks for all your wisdom. <laughs> I promise I'll try to continue to listen more and more. <laughs> okay, I admit that I'm prejudiced, but I think Jacob did a great job. He is such a great young man. I, I call him a kid. He's 35 years old, but you know, those of you who have adult children, you know they'll always be your kids. Uh, he's smart. He's bright. He's he's passionate. Loves God. He loves his family, and he loves the world. and And I just think he did a great job. and And I and I ask him really to uh, deal with a very hard topic of uh, of what millennials think. And, and the whole problem with what millennials think is you can't pin it down. There, uh, it's very general, but uh, but thank you, Jacob, for doing that. I, I thought he did great. Um, there's an interesting verse of scripture that comes to mind after that. Uh, in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been talking about his own ministry and his own walk and his own uh, changing worldview as he has tried to find a way to share the good news with a different group of people. Uh, and he says in uh, verse 22, when I am with those who are weak, 
I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Listen, Jacob is 35. I am not. We think differently. We look at things differently. We have a, we have a different worldview about a lot of things. My goal in life is not to prove myself right about everything. My goal in life is to be the best example of Christ for him and for others that I possibly can be. I, I want to save people, not win arguments. And so, so here's a couple of things that I suggest in all of this. I, I think, especially for those of us that are a little bit older, I think this is true on both sides of that divide, but especially for those of us that are a little bit older, it's important that I listen more than I talk. You know, it's a cliche, but God gave you two ears and one mouth, and that probably says something about how much they should be used. It's just important for me to listen a lot, to not use as many words as I have been using, and to just be willing to hear the heart of those young people who are desperately trying to come to grips with a loving God, a very messed up world, and a church sometimes that has not been a good representative of the Savior that we serve. Uh, listen more than you talk. Here's the second thing. Empathize more than you criticize. I, I watch the news. I turn on Facebook. I, I uh, uh, do Instagram uh, some. Uh, and I, you know, I, I can be so critical that those young whippersnappers, they just, they're not those millennials. Millennials has almost taken on this con connotation of these people that are self-centered. They're, they only care about themselves. They're not interested in, they, they rebel against authority, all of that stuff. We are so critical, so critical. And if I could learn to empathize more than I criticize, to genuinely try to know their heart, to genuinely try to feel for them, to feel some of their experiences and to understand better, I think I'd, it would go a long ways towards reaching some for Christ. Uh, listen more than you talk, empathize more than you criticize, and here's the third one, change more than you want to. <laughs> just, just be willing to change. The world's different. It's happening fast. And listen, it's going to go on with you or without you. If you really want to make an impact for the gospel, which, which I think we do, then it's going to require that I'm willing to change, to let go of some of those sacred cows that I thought really mattered and I found out that they don't, and just be willing to be a different person. That's my desire. I'd love at the end of the day to be able to say, as Paul said, I become all things to all men so that I might in some way win some. So what difference does that make? They think differently. They talk differently. Perhaps they act differently. Our goal is not to point out those differences. Our goal is to find that common ground that we can stand on at the foot of the cross and look up and recognize a Savior who died for both of us. By the way, that Savior loves you. So, love yourself today because God does. What Difference Does That Make with Dr. Mike Courtney is part of the Mana 3 Media Network. It is hosted by Dr. Mike Courtney and is produced and edited by me, David Wilkinson. 
you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd love for you to subscribe to What Difference Does That Make wherever podcasts are downloaded. Be sure to check out our episode show notes. You can learn more about Branches Counseling Center on Facebook and Instagram, and you can check out more podcasts by Mana3 Media, including my own, Dad Matters, on Instagram, at Mana3 Media. That's M-A-N-A, the number three, media. To find out more about Branches, I encourage you to go to branchescounselingcenter.com or call 615-904-7170.